And that's a quick fire opening game from Jelena Dokic. A good hustle there from Dokic. Dokic through to the final and a gutsy effort. Jelena Dokic understands just how tough life on the professional tennis tour is. At the age of 16, she beat world number one Martina Hingis in the first round of Wimbledon, making her an instant household name. And that's it. Only the third time at these championships, the number one seed or holder of the title has been eliminated at the first hurdle. But what should have been a glittering career was tarnished by the horrific abuse Yelena was subjected to at home. Her father, Demir Dokic, known for his angry outbursts on Rod Laver Arena, abused his teenage daughter verbally and physically. You idiot. In her book, Unbreakable, Yelena exposes horrendous trauma, including being whipped with a leather belt and called names like slut and whore during training sessions. Over time, her circumstance became better understood in the tennis world. But still, seemingly nobody intervened. It wasn't until Yelena turned 19 and left home that she was able to get away from the horrific violence of her father. She now supports and counsels other young players on the tour who are struggling with the high expectations and gruelling training sessions of professional tennis. Yelena knows what it is to be under pressure and to face an unpredictable opponent. And with days to go before the Australian Open begins, the player-turned-commentator is watching the news closely. Less than a week before the tournament was set to start, Victorian Premier Dan Andrews announced that there had been a hotel quarantine breach at the Grand Hyatt, where many players are staying. About five, six hundred people that are either players and officials and others who are casual contacts, uh, they will be isolating until they get a negative test. As Melbourne braced for what might be to come, the city was divided into two camps. Those who were excited to see the tennis back in town with all the economic stimulus that comes with it. And those who think it's irresponsible to bring hundreds of players and their teams into the country in the middle of a global pandemic. Up next, the list, including things to keep those in isolation occupied. But first, my conversation with Yelena Dokic. A quick warning that this conversation does cover some pretty confronting stuff including issues of abuse and violence against women. If that might bring some things up for you that are concerning, then you might want to skip this episode. Yelena, thanks for being part of the weekend briefing. Tennis is all about pressure. If you add a global pandemic, mandated isolation and the possibility of quarantine breaches that we've already seen here in Melbourne, the players must be finding it really tough right now. I know you've been speaking with players and coaches in the lead up to the Australian Open. How are they all feeling? Yeah, look, it's a tough situation for, for everyone, everyone involved um, in just in general in professional sport at the moment, not just tennis. I think tennis is um, uh, it's a little bit more difficult because we're not in a team sport. Everyone is individual. Everyone usually makes their own plans and their own schedules, uh, but we also we travel every single week. We move on to another tournament, another city, another country. So 
um, it's been extremely difficult for, for everyone. But look, we're in the middle of a pandemic and, and you have to accept that and, and put things into perspective. And just the fact that they, the tennis players still get to uh, compete and still get to play is a plus. And, and um, you have to just be really, I think, patient and you have to put your mind it has to be thinking always, look, these are the things that can happen. Um, we might have outbreaks and we might have situations where we will have to go into isolation or quarantine or there'll be tournaments that just won't happen because of the current situation in the world. So I think you have to adjust your mindset, do the best that you can because this is not normal circumstances. Australia is a super sports mad country, but do you think the people of Melbourne will be forgiving if it's the tennis that means they end up back in lockdown? Look, it's it's a very tough situation. Uh, again, for everyone, we worked so hard here in Melbourne. I mean, I'm a Melbournean and we were in lockdown here for six months and uh, it was extremely tough. We've, we've done the hard work to be able to uh, have freedom and, and to, to have the the lifestyle now again that we have and then to have zero cases for again more than a month so it's a tough one and I can understand a lot of people being edgy about the Australian Open um, happening but at the same time look the, the, the government and the Victorian um, health department and everyone working with the tennis um, has put measures in place that, that you know have been at times for some players as well which they've um, voiced their opinion have been tough they've gone through quarantine they've done the, everything that they've had to do um, and you know it should all be all right and going smoothly we'll see we'll see what happens Yelena, you were, of course, a professional tennis player yourself and a highly successful one at that. You reached world number four at one point in your career. Do you have positive memories of the tour? Uh, look, I do. I, I, I love tennis and, and that's a, you know, a huge passion of mine. I always have and I always will. And uh, yeah, I do have positive memories at the same time. You know, obviously, personally, I've gone through a lot. I've, I've talked about that very publicly, about going through um, what I've gone through from um, a perspective with my dad and, and um, uh, going through being abused physically and, and mentally and a lot of the other things that I've gone through. But at the same time, I loved you know competing and I loved playing no matter how hard it was due to my personal situation. And uh, yeah, look, I've had periods in, in my career where, uh, you know, my tennis was affected by what was going on off the court. Uh, but at the same time, I wouldn't change my time on the court for anything. You know, I, I love tennis. I've, I enjoyed playing it. I love competing, um, you know, on the biggest stage in the world. And, and, you know, the Australian Open being one of those and my big run in 2009. Um, the Olympics as well, where I came fourth, um, the Sydney Olympics. So that was a, a huge one. And then memories like that, I would never change for anything. So as tough as it was sometimes, um, I would do it all again. Amazing scenes here at Rod Laver Arena. You'd think this was a final. People on their feet everywhere. Dokic holds. Grabs back the ascendancy. Yeah, I remember watching you as a kid myself and just being so incredibly excited watching you have those those big wins on the world stage. You alluded to the abuse that you uh, were subjected to at the, at the hands of your father. You started playing tennis very young. What came first, the tennis or the abuse? Uh, well, the tennis came first, um, but uh, literally as I started playing tennis, um, the abuse started straight away, literally 
um, the same day. So it was happening for a long time and, and it was very hard for me to do anything about it and to leave home until, you know, I got a little bit older. Um, I left home when I was 19. So I went through, you know, a lot of years of abuse, which uh, was incredibly tough. And, um, you know, I just wasn't able to understand and, and didn't understand why it was happening, especially because I did, you know, I was always very hardworking and, and I had great results straight away very early on, um, you know, from the national level and then international level, then going um, into international juniors and then the pro tennis. And, and you know, I was a Wimbledon quarterfinals at 16. So that's that's very, very young. And then Wimbledon semifinals at 17. So I was doing extremely well very early on and the abuse just didn't stop. So um, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I might never get answers to on exactly why and how and, and um, what caused him to be the way that he was. Um, but I think you get to a stage where you have to accept certain things and how people are and, and you have to make your own decisions and, and move on and you remove yourself from the situation. Your father's behaviour on the tennis court when you were younger did become pretty intense and bizarre and, and my memories are that the Australian media sort of treated it like it was it was funny. How was that for you at the time and how did you stay focused? Because you spoke about how hardworking you were but you were also an incredibly focused player. Uh, look, I, I I tried hard. <laughs> Trust me, it wasn't easy. But uh, absolutely, I, I feel like um, the media, yes, they made fun of him. Um, he was a punchline. He was a joke. And, uh, you know, the, his behavior in itself and the outbursts that he had certainly weren't funny. Um, but also he was, um, he was very uh, aggressive and alcoholic as well. He was constantly drunk when he was, um, when he had anything to do with the media as well. And, and they all knew that. I kind of feel like, uh, yes, the media uh, didn't take it seriously enough, but more so also because of the fact that, you know, if you just stopped for one second and thought about the fact that a 14, 15, 16-year-old girl is going home with this person, it's a worry. And uh, no one stopped for one second to think, you know, what might be happening? What, what might that kid be going through? But, uh, yes, yeah, certainly another, you know, thing that's very hard for me to understand, um, you know, to this day is why the media thought it was so funny um, instead of taking it very, very seriously. You left Australia in 2001 to play for Yugoslavia for a period I know that that wasn't your decision and you were just a kid, but the backlash from the Australian public was was pretty fierce at that time. How did that impact you and did you have a sense of resentment towards Australia for a period? No, I absolutely didn't because I, I understood um, that and even though it wasn't my decision and it was my dad's, um, it was still... Um, taken as um, my choice because at the time they, they didn't know it was my dad's decision. It went on me. It was me that all of a sudden didn't play for Australia. Um, so I can understand it from that perspective. I was very proud to to be an Australian uh, and he took that away from me and I couldn't do anything about it at the time. I was, again, very, very young when you're 17. But I'm glad I came back as soon as I possibly could and as soon as I left home and left my father, which was extremely difficult and very scary for me when you're being you know, abused for, for almost 15 years. I tried to come back and, and luckily Australia you know, and, and the public gave me, gave me a second chance. The Australian Open starts on Monday. Will there be players competing who are 
possibly also being subjected to unreasonable pressure and possibly even abuse? Look, it's hard to know. Um, I don't know, um, you know, some of the individual players and exactly what's going on. But look, professional sport brings a lot of pressure with it. There's no doubt about that. So, um, you know, saying, you know, players going into a Grand Slam, are they, you know, subjected to pressure and expectation? Absolutely. Um, They all are. (laughs) And uh, that's just what comes with, um, you know, with professional sport, especially uh, professional sport like tennis you know it's a high yeah, why is it sport. why is it so intense in tennis look i think it's more intense in tennis especially for um for women um and young girls because there is so much money in tennis it really is it's one of the highest paid um women's sports in the world you know the prize money has you know really increased and, and gotten bigger and bigger even especially compared to when i started even more than 20 years ago on the tour um it's on another level uh so that you know, brings a lot of issues and a lot of problems with it. Yeah, it's not easy, uh, but yeah, more and more conversations are now happening about how to deal with pressure in, um, you know, high profile sports. And that includes tennis. And especially, I think it's an especially important conversation for um, women and young girls in tennis. What can we do to change that pressure? What can we do to better protect young players, including children? You were just a child when you started playing on the adult circuit. How can we make sure children are being protected? And what responsibility do organisations like Tennis Australia have to the young people who are who are essentially in their care? Well, I think it's important to have um, the right people and the right measures uh, in place. There's a lot more available today than there was, for example, when I was coming through. Um, there's a lot more available from a perspective of sports psychologists and well-being specialists that you can go to. We didn't we didn't really have that uh, 20 years ago. Uh, but also, I think it's um, very important to educate both. Um, you know, the young kids coming through, the juniors coming through, you know, even at a professional level, um, but especially coaches and parents. They have a big role that have, they actually have the biggest role in a life and a career of, of a young athlete. And it's important to educate them from an early stage um, of, you know, kids getting into tennis. I mean, I, I started playing tennis when I was six. Um, kids today, you know, start even earlier from, you know, the age of four. And it's very important for coaches to take on that role instead of putting pressure on, which at the end of the day will only cause problems. Elena, who have you got your eye on for this year's Australian Open? Uh, look, it's it's a tough call this year because uh, everyone's coming from such an unpredictable uh, year last year. Uh, there's been a lot less tournaments, a lot less opportunities to play. So it will be very, very tough to actually try and pick a winner this year because we just don't know what what kind of form they're all in. Um, and there's only one week, you know, before the Australian Open. And um, I'll still, obviously, uh, I'll go with Ash Barty. I would love to see her win um, another Grand Slam, but also to win it at home. That would be, you know, incredible to watch. You know, she's got a lot of work cut out for her with Serena and Naomi Osaka and Simona Hallett. There's a lot of great players in the draw, but I still believe she can win. And uh, and then for the men, um, you know, I'm going to go with Djokovic. He's won it eight times here, so I definitely feel like he's the favourite, always coming into the Australian Open, but Nadal's not far behind him either. Well, I think we'll all be cheering Ash Barty on. Elena, thank you so much for being so generous with your personal story and your time this morning, and good luck for the next two weeks. 
Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yelena Dokic's memoir, Unbreakable, is published by Penguin Random House and it's available at all good bookstores. All going well, the Australian Open will air on Channel 9 from Monday the 8th of February. And if you need someone to talk to after listening to Yelena's interview, you can call 1-800-RESPECT to discuss violence and abuse against women. Or if you need to talk to someone about your own mental health, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Now it is time for The List, where we tell you what to read, watch, listen, cook, see, do, podcast, oh my gosh, anything we have got you sorted for this weekend. Tate joins us now. Tate, what should we be listening to? Herald by Odette. It's her latest album that she released on Friday. It follows up To A Stranger, her debut album that was Aria-nominated, and this one is just as good, if not better. She's in a genre all by herself with this iconic gutsy vocals and woven spoken words. She also weaves in some like bug noises, magpies in there, and she's just a phenomenal voice. Jamila, on the topic of listening, what podcast do you have to recommend to us? I am a podcast fiend, which makes these recommendations very hard because there's too much to choose from. But it also means what I'm going to give you is the best of the best. I am recommending the latest episode of Just the Gist with Rosie Waterland and Jacob Stanley. In this hilarious episode, the two of them break down QAnon. QAnon are the group you might have heard a little bit about post-Donald Trump's loss back at the end of last year and also the inauguration of Joe Biden. They are a group who have a fantasy that Donald Trump is kind of like a a superhero Jesus type figure Mm -hmm. and uh, they believe a whole lot of very complicated stuff which Rosie and Jacob break down in a way that is both easy to understand and a little bit hysterical. Okay, I'm not across QAnon so that sounds really good and they won the best entertainment podcast at the Australian Podcast Awards last year so that's one you got to get your ears across. Yes, they are legit superstars. Tell us what we should be watching. What's going to happen on TV, Tate? (laughs) I mean, obviously the Australian Open kicks off on Monday so make sure you tune into that. One of the biggest sporting events to come back after COVID. Fingers crossed it all goes ahead as planned. But yeah, you got to tune into a bit of tennis, right? It's my favourite thing to do in the summer and my whole year has been thrown by the fact I couldn't watch the tennis during <laughs> January. just didn't feel like January. So instead, Tate, I have been getting my read on. I host another podcast called Anonymous Was a Woman where we talk mm-hmm. all about books and my number one read so far in 2021 is called The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. Oh, yes. is stunning. It follows two identical twin sisters and they grow up in this small southern black community where most of the people who live in the community could almost pass as white. The majority of the community have very fair skin. So their racial identities are kind of a bit obscured. And these two twin sisters grow up. One decides she's going to stick in the community that she was raised in. The other leaves the community and decides to pass as white and start a new life. Yeah, it's a bit parent trap, but more 
Well, I don't know how to, yeah, how to put less that. school camp, less Lindsay Lohan. Did you know I'm an identical twin? No way. Yeah, there you go, Jamila. I'll have to check this book out. We learn something every day. That's what you are <laughs> reading, watching, listening to and tuning in for for the next week, everyone. The briefing will be back in your ears on Monday where Tom and Annika are going to be speaking with Nadia Tolokonikova, who is the co-founder of Russian punk protest group Pussy Riot. Seriously great stuff. We will see you then. A podcast one production.